I'm Cynthia Murphy. And I'm Georgia Bowers. And this is Delete My Browser History. Oh, dear. Hello. Hello. How's it going, everyone? Um, Hopefully by now you've listened to our crossover with Emma from Real Life Ghost. (laughs) Please go and listen. It's the most bonkers, hilarious, rude conversation I think we've ever had. And... We did. I don't think this bit was recorded, but she said before we started, I'm going to keep this PG. (laughs) Well, she said, do I have to keep it PG? (laughs) No. So I think she just thought. I don't know how she would have kept it PG. No, me neither. Mm. That would be a totally interesting, different podcast. It certainly would. Yes. Right, I'm going to get started because mine weirdly follows on from mine last week, which I didn't intend it to, but it has. So I'm going to tell you about the Ackley House. Oh. So there's going to be bits in this that seem very similar to the Watcher House. And I think it's because I'm doing those bits of research about houses that have maybe got something a little bit wrong with them. And after watching the Watcher on Netflix, there's definitely bits of this story that I wonder if Ryan Murphy borrowed and put into the So I feel like he's done a little bit of research. The reason... I came across this is because I looked up, do you have to tell somebody that your house is haunted if you're selling Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, is there a legal precedent about it? And yes and no. So I had a look on Zillow, which is like a right move, I think, in the US. And it says a state-by-state analysis via Zillow says that there are no states that require sellers to disclose a haunting. So there are no states, but there are... In fact, I don't think that's right. I wonder where that's from. There are certain areas, but it's all a bit, what's the word, a bit bit vague. So we'll get towards it at the end. But I'm going to tell you about a house. So this is mainly from House Beautiful. So lots of these descriptions, it's going to sound like I'm trying to sell you a house. (laughs) The Ackley House was the first ever house to be declared legally haunted. It's a 10-minute drive from the famous Sleepy Hollow, so where the legend of the Headless Horseman is from. And it's located at number one, La Vita Place in Nyack, I think I'm saying that right, New York State. And it's the basis of a trial known as the Stambovsky v. Ackley trial, also known as the Ghostbusters ruling. Ooh. Love, how cool is that? La Vita Place is a coveted cul-de-sac in the commuter town of Nyack. So it must be a lot of creatives who work in New York kind of commute there. It was built in 1890, so it's old for American standards. And it's a three-storey clapboard made of horizontal wooden panelling. It's elevated above a river, so there are gorgeous views. It has a turret, a wraparound porch, and a fenced-in pool. Just sounds gorgeous. Eight bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms, but lots of nooks and crannies. So even though it's quite a big house, it's been designed inside to have lots of, you can imagine Victorian, can't you? Like loads of little secret cubby holes and things. Yeah. Lots of period details, including stained glass, hardwood floors and elaborate mouldings. So again, it's sounding like the Watcher House, this beautiful old house. Mm. Little is known about the early residents. And I had a little brainwave to look at uh, censuses from like the 1890s in the US. And I found it really difficult to search. You need to search by name rather than by address. So I don't know how you would find out who lived there. 
but I couldn't find it anywhere. But they think the same family probably lived in it up to about the 1960s. And then for some reason, it was unoccupied for a decade. So there's no highly publicised murders or tragedies. And the rumours of the ghosts trace back to the mid-1970s. The lady who owned the house wrote an article for Reader's Digest. <laughs> remember reading it? And I read the article and it gave me so many happy memories of like being a kid and reading <laughs> my dad's Reader's Digest. There are all sorts of like rubbish in there. So it was called Our Haunted House on the Hudson. And it was written by Helen Ackley, who lived there. She lived there with her husband, George, and their four children. And they seemed to live happily in the house, even though it was haunted. They all kind of saw the ghosts. Both parents had different experiences with the ghosts. Kids all had experiences, but nobody was really fussed about it. Mm. George, the dad, saw some disembodied feet in a pair of moccasins on the stairs one day. I'm assuming he kind of saw them as if somebody was walking down the stairs and he couldn't see the top half, not that he just saw legs on their own. On their own, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, and Helen saw a man in either colonial or revolutionary war garb. Mm. That seems quite common. Their daughter, Cynthia, nice mm, name, was in high school at the time and she was woken daily by something shaking her bed. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? And apparently she got fed up to the point where, like, she just wanted a lie-in. So she just politely said to the room, please, can you just let me sleep in? And it never happened again. Really? Yeah. So a polite ghost. But apparently one of her younger, but must have been an older brother, when he used to come back from college, he would have his bed shaken in the morning. So. It's creepy, isn't it? Yeah, that is not how you want to wake up in the morning. No. The family all felt that the spirits were friendly and considered them part of the part of the gang, part of the family. Local kids had told her when she was moving in. This is according to the article, though. Um, mm. Apparently some local kids had come up and been like, hey, lady, you do know this place is haunted. <laughs> and she didn't mind. They moved in anyway. So in 1989, the family, the kids had grown up, they'd all moved out and they downsized. They obviously didn't need an eight-bedroomed house anymore and they sold it. But they'd been there for 25 years and they'd been really happy there. And this was a whole 15 years after she'd written the article. So oh, okay. they'd lived really happily. Hmm. So the house was listed with Ellis Realty for just under $800,000 in 1989. Wow. Um, and it says a young couple. I don't know how young they would be. Jeffrey and Patricia Stambovsky showed interest and put in an offer. Ellis, who owned the realty company, and Cynthia, the daughter, both said that Helen, the mum, did talk about the haunting a few times, like just passing conversations with the realtor and with the couple who were going to buy the house. Mm. Ellis even said that he remembers... Helen refusing to sign anything before she had the conversation with the family to say, by the way, we think this place is haunted before you, you know, sign on the dotted line. But the Stambovskis claimed that they only found out when a contractor came in and was like, oh, I've heard stories about this place. And they were really annoyed. They wouldn't have wanted to buy it if it was haunted. And Jeffrey said he didn't believe in ghosts, but he did believe that... Um, it would affect the resell like price if he ever wanted to sell it. Yeah, I suppose if there was if they knew just that there was rumours of of a ghost, 
that yeah. it was something people talked about. Yeah. Would it affect the price if they were? Yeah. Helen did get the first down payment, but then when they found that out, they turned around and said they wanted to withdraw from the sale. And because she said no, they filed action against her for fraudulently misrepresenting a material condition of the home. Hmm. So they kind of said, you have lied to us about something important in the fabric of this house. Court initially dismissed it, said Helen had no duty to disclose that at all. Mm-hmm. And New York State at the time had the law caveat emptor, which means buyer beware, which I quite like. Yeah. In Latin, and it means it's the buyer's, not the seller's responsibility for anything mm-hmm. like that. So it's their responsibility to ask questions and... And that's it. Or get mm-hmm. surveys done, I imagine, whatever. So the Stambovskis appealed it. And then it was taken to the New York State Supreme Court, where someone called Justice Rubin disagreed with the dismissal and said that caveat emptor wasn't relevant in this case because the defect wasn't physical. So the justice wrote, as a matter of law, the house is haunted. Oh because Helen had committed it to writing in the press and could not deny or change the folklore under oath. So mm. she would go back and say, oh, no, I just made it up. And, you know, it was just an interesting story. So the the thing was passed and they, she didn't have to sell them the house. So it, it has been sold many times since. One Levita Place has changed hands frequently, though no more ghosts have ever been reported. But a few kind of famous creatives have lived there, including 90s filmmaker Adam Brooks, who co-wrote Practical Magic. Oh. And it does remind me of the Practical Magic house. Like, it looks similar. And in 2015, it was listed for $1.9 million. So it's obviously not affected the, the sale. The sale. Well, not if the ghosts are friendly as well. Yeah, exactly. So I had to look for a bit more on Wikipedia. So um, the haunting itself... Apparently, they used to get gifts from the ghosts. So when the first grandchild was born, a little baby ring appeared and a pair of uh, solid silver like sugar tongs appeared when Cynthia was getting married. So they would find these things in the house and they thought they were gifts from the ghosts. Appeared where, though? I don't know. There's not a lot of detail. She's kind of, that's in that article. So it's all very beautifully written. She was a good writer, Mm. but it's just like little bits of information. You know, Mm. this happened and this happened. It was on the local ghost tour for a few years. It had been in the local paper three times in the 70s and 80s. So it was a well-known. So I don't really know how the people could say they didn't know it was haunted. or they. No, and if there was a conversation before they actually signed anything. Yeah, but they say there wasn't. And obviously none of that was ever recorded because it was all just done, you Mm. know, Uh, This will make you chuckle. So in court, so in the actual court transcripts, they must have just had a field day when, uh, you know, the lawyers who were representing it. So there's references to Hamlet in there. There's references to Ghostbusters. (laughs) Supernatural idioms were used throughout, including the plaintiff hasn't a ghost of a chance. Oh, brilliant. I am moved by the spirit of equity. (laughs) And the notion is a hobgoblin, which should be exercised from the body of the legal precedent. (laughs) (laughs) So they must have just had so much fun doing it. Um, That really made me laugh. I'd love to read the whole thing, even though I'm sure most Mm. of it. The reason a haunted house, going back to the beginning, back to the first question of do you have to 
tell someone if your house is haunted. So it is now listed as a form of stigmatised property. So there's lots of different stigmas. So death, murder, suicide is like one group, if something like that. So Americans are a bit obsessed with who died in their house. But I think in the UK, houses are a bit older, aren't they? So generally. Yeah, so it's more likely. Yeah. More likely to have happened. I think you just accept that if you're in an older house, then somebody's probably died in it at some point yeah do you think in america it's more likely that someone broke into your house and shot shot someone Maybe. so that's probably that that's... those stats are a lot higher so yeah. they would probably want to know what kind whether it was a violent death or whether it was just a natural death yeah exactly and i think things like murder and suicide would be in the papers and stuff wouldn't they so that would yeah. be a certain stigma to a property i don't know if i would want to buy a house that had had a murder happen in there oh i don't think so now some people aren't bothered like at all but now I would think about it too much Mm. so all these different stigmas and then there's one called phenomena stigma so many but not all jurisdictions require disclosure if a house is renowned for haunting so even though at the beginning it says you don't have to disclose I think you have to tell your realtor so if I were to sell my house I would have to tell whoever was selling it yes it's history of haunting However, it varies whether they have to pass that information on. I was going to say, do you think it's a case of if the if the buyers ask the realtor, the realtor would have to say yes in some cases, told that it's haunted. Yeah, in some mm. cases, the reason that a haunting is in the phenomena stigma and in a separate category is because apparently it can be an indicator of um, a possible air quality hazard, like carbon <laughs> monoxide poisoning or toxic mould. So if people are thinking that they're being haunted and seeing things, it could actually potentially be like an air So it has, so you have to kind of disclose it. However, I went to fool.com and they said, most states don't have laws on the books, but it has been addressed in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts and Minnesota. So New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, they're all kind of near each other. Yeah. That makes it, and it's on that older East Coast side. Um, Mm. Minnesota's a bit random. But apparently in Minnesota and Massachusetts, paranormal activity does not, by law, have to be disclosed. Oh. Um, In New York and New Jersey, there are circumstances where it must be shared. So in New Jersey, if you ask, they have to tell you. In New York you just have to let them know so that's interesting because this case was from new york state so now in new mm. york they've got to say this property is haunted um, i wonder if they put it in the in the listing or if they just wait until they have a conversation with somebody well it says they have to disclose it at the sale so they can't right. so it might not be in the listing but yeah no. when it gets further down the line because they can't have said it's haunted before to like somebody else and then not tell the new buyer but in New Jersey, like, oh, only if you tell me. Like, how yeah. many people think to ask, is this house haunted? I, mean, I would I- ask. <laughs> I always think that when you see a house, a house that's like on right move or whatever for ages, and then yeah. it goes off and then it comes back and you think, so it's sold, someone's moved in and they're selling it again. It's clearly yeah. haunted. There's one near us that is up for sale and it's like mega money, but it's just, it's been empty ever since I've, lived here which Mm -hmm. must be like six seven years now and 
So obviously someone was in a home maybe and then died. But yeah. uh, it does look a bit creepy. I do wonder. Like, And there used to be this big cross in the back window. Really? Which just means a Catholic lived there. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It depends which way, which way up it was, I suppose. That's true. Yeah, I think it was the normal way. <laughs> so that's it. Yes, you do. I don't know uh, about England because I didn't look it up. But in America, where my new book will be set, they would, mm. it's going to be, I think it is in New York State. It's either New York State or New Jersey. It's very close together. So there'll be a part of the storyline where there's a clause in a contract somewhere that gets discovered. That's cool. Would you, would you, if you found your dream house and they were like, chance it's haunted, would you, would you still buy it? It depends if it was a nice one, like that, mm. if it, you know. And then I always think I don't have many paranormal mm. like incidents and am I just a bit of a black hole for it? So it could be full of ghosts and I would never even notice at all. Yeah. Would you? I don't know. I don't I don't think I would. Yeah. I don't think I would. You know that film Thirteen Ghosts where they've got the glasses that see the ghosts. Yeah. Imagine that would be that could be like in the future of like re like realty. <laughs> Yeah, you could do like a sweep of a house that you're potentially buying just to make sure it doesn't have any ghosts in it. Well, but also, if some, if they're like, yeah, it's it's haunted, basically, there has been. And then you're like, right, can I have a bit more detail? They'd just be like, yeah, friendly ghost. Yeah, no, nothing to worry about, yeah. wouldn't they? Well, yeah, I suppose so. Mm. Not like wake up I, screaming at 5am, dangling upside down. I know. I never, I never would have even thought that there was, that you had, had to declare that sort of thing and and the what did you say stigma stigma stigmatized property stigmatized properties it's amazing isn't it it's crazy i think though it's like late 80s mm. in america everyone suing each other for absolutely anything True. And yeah I, um this was just one of them that happened and and like it said it was thrown out of court and then they appealed mm-hmm. and it just so happened someone got hold of it and said actually no we could tie this in with you know if they said stamp they could they would have to disclose it it's like something about the fabric of the house yeah so they should have told them but I think they probably knew and then I don't know realized the house was too big or they couldn't afford it or eight hundred thousand dollars in the late 80s that is a lot of money isn't it a lot of money if it's selling for like 1.97 years ago so Mm. it's worth two million now did you see a picture of it yeah i'll put some on instagram yeah it looks like the watcher house like it has the porch and it's got the blue painted shutters apparently it was painted red for a lot of years <laughs> that's a good idea House red um <laughs> but yeah oh, interesting yeah. very interesting that was very informative that one i feel like i've uh earned my like certificate in house selling yeah Go and be a little estate agent on the side now. <laughs> um, oh, that would be like a great sort of like junior fiction, middle gradey sort of, you know, selling how someone who sells houses to monsters, finding the oh, perfect. Yeah. That would be cute, wouldn't it? That would be that'd be a good picture book. Yeah, and like a vampire with like, you know, make sure it has the windows facing the right way for the daylight and all that oh, sort of stuff. That's cute. Yeah. Right. So I've got a quick one here for you. Pretty quick. Also pretty grim. Oh. 
and for the people involved i don't think it was i don't think it was quick but i think it was grim yes. so as the tongues and torture was so popular especially <laughs> with you cynthia i thought i would look at just general medieval torture techniques nice i got these from this is the coolest and these are all like it's like they're sort of top medieval torture devices so i've got pictures of them all so i shall describe them as i go through so the first one is called the pair of anguish have you heard of that no i haven't actually the pair of anguish is obviously pear-shaped and i'm worried about where it goes now <laughs> i've had well, time to think oh no yeah yeah as we go on you'll see they were obsessed with putting things into people and oh, having people naked while they were tortured and yeah putting things into orifices and anyway you'll see so the pair of anguish it was quite a simple sort of it was a sort of it looks about this sort of size it's sort of like pear shape and it had a thing on the end that you screwed or unscrewed and as you unscrewed it the other end would open up like this oh no so they would like to <laughs> should i go on they used to like putting this in people's mouths to start off with that would be like the kindest place to put it and eventually it would just shatter the skull oh. obviously and the person would die and of course other places they'd like to put it which be would be even more excruciating wouldn't end in death necessarily but it would be incredibly incredibly painful mm. so that is the pair of anguish nice next we have judas cradle and this seems to be um it's also known as judas chair so this is one again where you would be naked and they just seem to be obsessed with people's private parts so it was a sort of pyramid shape and they would tie the person up and then lower them onto it oh no on via their body and uh yeah they would just get lower and lower down onto it and obviously that would be incredibly painful oh my god there were some sick people around i know these people how do they have these ideas and then there's the iron maiden which you've probably come across which is kind of like a sort of coffin what they called sarcophagus that's it um these ones would have spikes inside and i think they were upright and the person would just be left inside for endless amounts of time and of course if you sort of started to lose your footing or whatever you just end up falling on these spikes and your legs would go first i suppose so yeah. not, not not very nice i always think of do you remember the chokey from Matilda? Yeah. yeah that's exactly what i was thinking of that was terrifying as a child it was i mean roll doll i mean that was scary bit sick really this is an so this here's another one this is the spanish donkey which is a bit like judas cradle but it looks like a long it's a long triangular piece of wood and they would they would put people over legs over and then tie weights to their ankles until oh literally god. they were splitting up the middle oh my god why <laughs> i mean oh. It's, I mean, it, it, it's almost cartoon-like, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Imagine so actually doing that to somebody. I know, I know. Um, then there's the rack, the big one, yeah. the rack. Everyone knows about the rack. So you'd have your your uh, ankles and <laughs> ankles, wrists and ankles tied um, either end, and then they used to they used to stretch you. And apparently, the um, people who were torturing you would hope that you'd split in half because if you split in half they'd make a wish just as you split oh. in half. Yeah. But oh my what God. Usually, 
I know what is wrong with people what would normally happen is just that your arms and your legs would just tear out of their sockets yeah and then you just be left to live like that for the rest of your life then we have the spanish tickler which doesn't isn't as exciting as it sounds not to be confused with the french tickler <laughs> uh, it looks like wolverine's claws big oh. metal claws and they were meant to dig into the skin and penetrate right down to the bone. They were really, really sharp. And then they just yanked them away, pulling the flesh and the muscle away with them. I mean, that would just, I mean, that doesn't seem very creative to me compared to the other ones. Yeah. Someone's thought a lot about the other ones, like, yeah, distinctly, haven't they? Yeah. This one, I mean, this one is the first one that involves, uh, animals other living things so this is called the tub and it's just imagine a great big sort of metal tub inside it looked like you had something that you'd have to sort of shackle people's ankles to it's big enough that someone could sit and sort of crouch down in it i think so the person was bound hand and foot so obviously they couldn't go anywhere and then they had their face smeared with honey and then flies and other biting insects would be drawn to the person and they'd be obviously eating the honey and crawling all over there, you know, into the mouth, all that sort of stuff. So you're just stuck there and you've got all these insects all over your face. And then the the prisoners were also force fed so that they'd stay alive. So they were force fed um, food and water. And as time went on, the person, they'd just be left in their own bodily, like, yuck. Yeah, they'd just be sitting there and of course then maggots would be introduced and they'd be crawling all over the person's body as the, per- mm-hmm. as the person was just basically sitting there decaying and I mean this is one of the, the most agonising slow torture devices yeah. that they used apparently nasty oh, that's nasty hot. worse than the tongue worse than the tongue stuff so far it's on par <laughs> definitely on par they're all just horrible anything with people putting things in places that you don't want them to put them oh yeah yeah awful um this one is called the coffin but it's not as you imagine a coffin it is do you remember in willow where willow first meets mad mordigan and he's hanging from that he's in that cage that bird's nest sort of thing um, I, don't know what you mean. I don't remember now. I, I, oh, well, he's, it's like a it's like a cage hanging up high and he's sitting it with his legs dangling out. That's what this looks like. Like in Hocus Pocus. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they would just be left there. And, and as they started, you know, sort of dying, birds and stuff would be like coming up and pecking them and you know, trying to get at them. And then people who were walking past would just throw things at them as well because, you know, they were just hanging there and obviously had done something wrong. So it's a nice one. This one is called the lead sprinkler, which strangely looks like a child's rattle. So it's a it's a small sort of handheld metal thing with a big ball on the end of it that had loads of holes inside it. So this is a particularly nasty one and it was filled with molten lead or boiling oil and then they just dribble it over the oh person's skin and of course this person would be naked like they always seem yeah. to be naked and then it's humiliating yeah. isn't it yeah and then the torturer it would go on it says here it would go on for as long as the torturer could um stop themselves from pouring the molten silver into the victim's eyes because that's what they always used to end up doing and of course that would kill them oh my god yeah um, Imagine if these people wrote 
wrote fiction back in those days, Cynthia. Well, it sounds like they they were were getting their jollies elsewhere, weren't they? Yeah, they were acting out in other ways. This one is called Shrew's Fiddle. This is one that was used on women by men, usually their husbands or, you know, the the elder or whatever. And it's a wooden thing. It looks a bit like stocks. I can't, I think it's got, but it's sort of long that way. And it's got a big hole here followed by two small holes. So I think that it went, I think you were like, like that in it you'd had your hand, hands like that George's just <laughs> so your head would be your head would be in the top right okay and then so what, head think, in the top and then arms underneath I think so yeah and it would just you wouldn't be able to feed yourself if you were wearing one so right. you were just at the mercy of your of your husband or your partner I guess yeah. you'd just be completely defenseless when you're walking around and of course people again would be able to throw things at you for being oh. for being a nag or for being whatever. But yeah, it says it was just used on women, which is oh. nice. The next one is the Malay boot. Malay boot. Uh, they used to like using boots in torture. Lots of variations on this one, apparently. But basically, the intended cause was to severely trauma the lower extremities. So obviously, if you're if you're back in those days, if you couldn't walk properly, I guess it was a death sentence, really, wasn't it? You wouldn't be able to do anything. You wouldn't be good for anything. No, and imagine like the like breaking a leg is quite bad, isn't it? And mm. like the infection and yeah, yeah, set properly, and you'd just be hobbled. Yeah. So the boot, it was like a pressure device made of wood or metal, which was, it, it just looks like a boot that you'd, like a big metal boot. It doesn't, it's not got the foot part, sorry, but it it just is pulled onto the leg and then it's got these screws. Mm. So the screws would be tightened and the, the, the leg, obviously your leg would get more and more mashed. And sometimes they were lined with spikes and it, they would break your bones. As people, as as it was turned round, it would it was capable of breaking bones. So yeah, I mean, the yeah. sheer the the pain, the pain, and then as you say, tr- recovering from something like that. I mean, chances are you probably wouldn't. Yeah, you're gonna die from infection. Yeah. Uh, next we have pillywinks, which sounds really nice, but it's not. It's thumb screws. Like a, a family, so there's there's thumb thumb screws, which obviously you just put them on your thumb, and they were so, a sort of thing was was turned, and it would crush your thumb. But also there was a head crusher, so it was the same thing, but head size, and your head would be crushed inside this thing, and also a knee crusher. Oh yeah, so yeah, all all nasty, and then the um, heretic's fork, and this was designed to make sure that. Um, you were looking up at God, so it looked like a two-ended fork, and the fork it had two prongs, which were really, really sharp. And it was—you'd have a, a collar around your neck, and this fork would poke that way and then down that way. So if you look down, you'd get the fork right up in underneath your chin, in your jaw. Oh my God! How many yeah. of these were like pseudo um, religious? Oh, most of them. Yeah. Like, they were all used on people who were, yeah. Yeah, they weren't used on royalty or anything, were they? No, they no. On peasants. No. And then, of course, we come to the ducking stool, which we all know about, which was used on, on women again, who were accused of witchcraft. And I've read lots of variations on this from my research into witches and stuff. So 
I mean, it, it's just so barbaric. And when you read the write-ups of, of what happens and the crowd would be like, you know, in a frenzy about the whole thing. But basically, they'd just be tied to a chair and then it the chair would be on a, a long wooden pole and then it would just be dunked in the water over and over again and it was it was never going to turn out well for the person sitting on the chair no I've also heard about I've also heard that this was one that was near me on a bridge on a bridge by a church near me and somebody was accused of witchcraft and she was covered in a sheet before she was ducked under the water can you imagine that and her her thumbs and her toes were tied together so she was yeah yeah, like cross-legged and then, yeah, imagine having a wet sheet over you as you're being... I well, mean, you, it would, you would be a witch if you escaped it, wouldn't you? You know, you would oh, have magical powers to get out of it, like... Yeah, a miracle, yeah. Ah, and then we have... This is break the breaking wheel, and this it, it's obviously wheel-shaped, and people would be tied to it, and then just basically they'd be tied in sort of awkward poses and then they'd have their limbs smashed and the the wheel had like things poking out of it so you could be like oh I'll just put their arm like that against against that little spoke and then I'll give it a good whack oh yeah not nice lots of broken bones and this last one is called the scavenger's daughter which is a really interesting title they don't really know why it's called that but the person who invented it was called skevington the surname was skevington and it just looks like a great it's sort of it must be about well you have you could crouch underneath it you'd get on the floor in a sort of crouch position and then they would just turn the top of it and it would just push you down further and further until you were just crushed underneath it so like a vice but yeah, like a like a giant vice, but like human sized, God. and you'd be you'd be crouched under it. So, like, yeah, you'd have your knees under you. Oh, that yeah. So you just nice. Yeah. My final one, which is just awful, and again involves animals. You've heard of rat torture. Oh yeah, I know what this is going to be. Yeah, you want to cover your ears? No, no, it's fine. I just... Um. So the the victim would be bound to a table or a rack, obviously naked. They're always naked, aren't they? And then a rat is placed on their chest and then they would put a metal bucket over the rat on the person's chest. And then they put a little fire on top of the bucket. So obviously it would get really, really hot. And then the rat gets hot and it starts to panic and it tries to escape. And of course, it can't burrow through the bucket, which is made of metal. So it starts to try and burrow through the chest of the person it's sitting on. Delightful. So that is, yeah, just a little insight into some medieval torture. Nice. Thanks. I feel like yeah. my have been really like lighthearted in comparison. <laughs> like, here's about a house that might be haunted. <laughs> yeah. I just I just came across some of these when I was doing the tongue torture stuff. And yeah. again, like I said, it is almost like cartoon like yeah, the violence. It's hard people. to believe that it's real. That like Yeah, and that it happened. It's like you know when you watch a horror film and something's really over the top and a really silly kill and yeah. like a really sick kind of that's yeah. what, like people really did it. I know. And actually it's not you don't really want to think about torture techniques they use now because you know it still happens doesn't it but a a lot of what all these medieval um ways of doing things obviously paved the way for other kinds of torture 
yeah horrible it's all the all this all the stuff that is yeah and it's it's clearly some kind of sexual deviancy mm. and it's yeah, yeah. just horrible yeah and when you know what like when you watch those films like robin hood prince of thieves and stuff and you have like the really over the top torturer who's like wearing the mask and he's like oh i've been saving this one for you and all that sort of thing and you think oh they probably yeah that's probably what they were like they probably liked it they were probably society's like psychopaths who just so happened there was a perfect job for them and they got paid to do it like maybe maybe when them jobs disappeared they had to like go into hiding and that's where serial yeah yeah they had to let it out somehow probably there you go well thanks <laughs> okay. i was researching this in a coffee shop by the way and the pit obviously the pictures there was lots of naked pictures of people <laughs> like they, they're all drawings and it reminded me of what peter laws was saying about like when you're researching in a public place and you're a bit like aware of what people can see when they bring over here's your coffee oh yeah well there was what a scene in, um, in the last thing that i wrote and i was doing it on the train and it was a really mm-hmm. busy train so there was a guy sat like directly next to me and he just he just read it over my shoulder the entire time i'm like merrily murdering somebody on yeah. on screen and uh yeah. but i think quite a good way to look after yourself in a public place no exactly you are they yeah it <laughs> certainly deter any people trying to strike up a conversation with you yes exactly <laughs> don't go unless they're particularly you. interested in that sort of thing yeah if they do you have to be slightly worried don't you and yeah. get your location services on and yeah it's like that um did you ever read that like little short story thing about the the guy stopping and picking up a hitchhiker and the guy gets in the car and he says to the driver after a little you know they strike up a conversation and then after a little way he says aren't you worried about picking up like an axe murderer or something or a serial killer and the driver says i think the chances of there being two axe murderers in this car are pretty slim I do kind of remember. I was thinking of, um, is it Dumb and Dumber? What film is it where they pick up? Oh, they do. They pick up a, mo- oh yeah, the guy. And, and he's got, hasn't he got a big duffel like bag? Like a body with him. Yeah. 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 Like a bag in the shape of a body. <laughs> is that Dumb and Dumber? I can't remember. I think it is Dumb and Dumber. But it's one of those funny ones where, oh no, it's not. Is it something about Mary? And he gets out of the car because he's so annoying. <laughs> He's talking all oh, about yeah. this girl and he gets out of the car because he's so annoyed. Um, yeah. And then he gets done for it, doesn't he? Because he drops him off in a like a gay hookup spot. Oh, gosh, yeah, he does. Yeah. Very 2000s. Very, very much so. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you for telling me all about torture. You're welcome. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Browser history deleted.